0: Jesus is real. There's power in Your name. We find hope
1: when we trust in Your ways. We believe in Jesus is real.
0: All of us have failed at living a righteous life. That's why the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's not that the Bible is a downer. The Bible is realistic. There's a radical realism. And so when the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it's not saying that all of us are as bad as we could be, right? Hopefully nobody here is as bad as you could be. What it's actually saying is that none of us are as good as we should be.
1: If you had a bowl of fresh fruit and a bowl of rotten fruit sitting on your counter, which would you throw away? The answer's obvious, but it's not so obvious when it comes to people because we tend to value the wrong things. Today, Pastor Daniel, we'll teach you about the contrast between wickedness and righteousness. Well, we know righteousness is the way we've all failed at it. Today, we'll find out how to get there. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Consider the contrast.
0: One of the least popular people in biblical times was, of course, the prophet. The prophet's job was a unique calling given by God to literally call into question the status quo. When the children of Israel or its leaders would kind of get off, veer off from what God's plan was, God would raise up a prophet and he would place this word in the heart of the prophet and the prophet would go and literally call into question the status quo. You can imagine how unpopular prophets are and the reason you can imagine it is because, do you ever have somebody in your life who loves you enough to call into question the status quo? Right? When someone comes and gives you something, you're like, right? Am I, no? You guys love it when people call your status quo into question, right? Yeah, right. Right? And so what happens is, is literally the prophet calls into question what is the standard operating procedure of the life of God's people. And people will get upset. Like they would go to the religious leaders and say, listen, you guys are, you know, you're doing this and that, but you're missing the weightier matters of the law. They would go to the kings and say, look, you're oppressing the people. And the prophets would be in trouble. But not only did a prophet call into question the status quo, the prophet's job was also to shine light and enliven a more beautiful future if people would change. So it's not like the prophet was just a critic. The prophet was literally somebody who would say, look, your status quo is not all that it could be, and let me give you a vision of how life can be if you were to change your ways, amend your ways, do something different. Then you might say, so, okay, so Fusco, so why are you bringing all this up? Well, because we're doing this series called Hashtag God's Tweets in the Book of Proverbs. And because of that, what I've been doing over the last couple of months is I've just been reading through the Book of Proverbs. It's like I just, you know, there's 31 Proverbs in the Book of Proverbs. So you can read one every single day, and I keep reading it, and in some ways, As I'm reading the book of Proverbs, which is a book that I've read many times before, I've taught sections of it, but Proverbs is really punching me in the face every day. Like like literally, it's like God's word is literally like just challenging me in all these different ways. And it's one of the reasons why I think people don't like the Bible in this generation, because we don't want to be challenged. It's like everybody just wants like... I just want you to affirm whatever it is that I believe in. Whatever I'm about, I just want you to say, yes, you're great. You're amazing. This is wonderful. But then you have God's word, which wants to show us a more excellent way, a way that doesn't come naturally, but a way that is the life of God in the life of a person. And so literally the book of Proverbs has been challenging me. It's been a prophetic voice in my own life where I'm like, wow, okay, ooh, ooh, you know, it's like kind of like in the beginning, I'm just trying to duck the punches and now I'm just kind of just taking them, you know what I mean? And so as we're studying today, as we're learning today, my encouragement to you is when one of these proverbs, one of these little one-liners of wisdom challenges you, I don't want you to resist it because that's what we always do, right? We, we, We just try and deflect it away. But I want you to say, Holy Spirit, will you lead me in the way of everlasting? Will you teach me what you're trying to show me so that I can live differently? You guys ready? Okay, open up in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. The book of Proverbs is not hard to find. Really, the the book of Psalms, it's the largest book in your Bible. There's 150 of them. So if you're just kind of flipping through it, you're going to find the Psalms. Go right to your right The book of Proverbs is the absolute next book, Proverbs chapter 10. For the series that we're calling Hashtag God's Tweets. So if you're uh, on Twitter and all that stuff, you can use that hashtag. People keep saying, so why are you calling this series God's Tweets? And really, you see it clearly in Proverbs 10 because a tweet is on the social media site Twitter. And all you can do is use 140 characters. So really, like, you can only get one sentence in. And really from chapter 10 all the way to the end of the book of Proverbs, every single verse is its own little tweet. It's like if God had a Twitter account, if God wanted to blow your mind with a little truth bomb of wisdom and just like everyone be like retweeting it, blowing your mind and all that stuff, each one of these is this little short but very powerful statement. So Proverbs chapter 10. Now one of the things that's fun for me as a, as a pastor is you're always trying to figure out how are gonna like package this whole thing? And I'm here to tell you that Trying to package what is a number of one-liners from God into nice little units is very challenging. Like, it's like, it's one of those things that every time I think I got a good packaging, then all of a sudden this this other God's tweet pops out. I'm like, ah. So I'm just gonna do the best I can, amen? Now, in doing the best I can and knowing that, literally, in Proverbs chapter 10, we're gonna take the whole chapter, there's 32 individual Proverbs, which means if I gave each individual Proverbs two minutes of comments, we're going to be here for 64 minutes, which would mean first, you would all not be happy with me. And definitely our Crossroads kids worker would not be happy because they'd have your kids through the bewitching hour of one o'clock and lunch and all that stuff. So I have to pick and choose. But as I'm doing that, there might be one of these Proverbs that speaks to you that I might not comment on, and I don't want you just to be like, oh, well, Fusco didn't comment on it, so it's no big deal. I literally want you to make a note of it and and spend some time with it because God wants to do a work in each one of our lives. So let's jump right on in. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse one, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, and the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Now, in this first section, I've entitled this message, Consider the Contrast. Why? Because you notice in each one of these Proverbs, there's a statement and then there's a but this And so you're, you're constantly seeing the wisdom of God, that word that means skill for life. It's always shown in contrast. There's this or there's this. So we're, we're literally learning about this by looking at two different sides of a coin so that each and one of us would say, okay, this is the way that i'm going to do this this is the decision i'm going to make and so even in verse one look at what it says it's a it's a proverb of solomon it says a wise son makes a glad father but a foolish son is grief to his mother so we have these contrasts between the wise and the foolish the wise son is a blessing and the foolish is grief now again because it's designed to be a contrast it doesn't mean that if you have a wise son it's not a blessing to his mom. And if you have a foolish son, it's not a grief to his dad. That's not the point. It's, it's using this idea of these contrasts. And what it is is you have the way of wisdom, which is a way that brings rejoicing, or you have this way of foolishness or wickedness that brings grief. And many a parent will tell you that that verse is as true as true is. Right? When your child is walking in wisdom, it brings joy. And when your child is walking in foolishness, it makes you go gray. Amen? I was never going to be gray until we had kids. And I don't know what happened. It's like, oh, but I was born and I was just like, psh, went gray in three seconds. So the contrast that we're considering is the way of wisdom versus the way of wickedness or foolishness. Now, in the verses I just read, to give you kind of an overarching principle, what we learn is that we need to be both righteous and diligent. We need to be righteous and diligent. So we have these two different categories that you and I should be righteous and diligent. Now, where do I get this from? Look at verse 2. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. So you notice we have this idea that the treasures of wickedness doesn't profit. So this means is that, simply speaking... Righteousness has far greater value than wealth that is attained through wickedness. Righteousness is way more valuable than wealth that is attained through shady measures. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness literally means whatever pertains to what is right. So. This is one of the reasons people don't like the Bible. Again, remember I told you how the Bible has this prophetic witness, it it, it has teeth to it, because the Bible actually has the audacity to say that there is a right way and a wrong way. And the reason people don't like it is because everybody's way seems right in their own eyes and they don't want anybody to challenge it. And what's funny about that is that many of us feel the same way, like who are you to tell me what to do? My way is right, except you get a little older and you realize, wow, my way wasn't exactly right. Anybody here can look back on your life and say, man, what I didn't know. Go ahead, raise your hands. Yeah, see, a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't really want to raise my hand, you know? Like, but that's how it goes, right? It's like you think you got it right, and then you get a little bit older with a little more information, or something happens. You're like, wow, I didn't even realize. So the Bible has the authority to be able to say, listen, there is a way that's right. And, and the way that is right is the way of righteousness. Now, You know what the problem is with the way that's right? All of us have failed at living a righteous life. That's why the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's not that the Bible is a downer. The Bible is realistic. There's a radical realism. And so when the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it's not saying that all of us are as bad as we could be right? Hopefully nobody here is as bad as you could be. What it's actually saying is that none of us are as good as we should be. So you're not the worst absolute version of yourself, but you've never been the best absolute version of yourself, right? And so the problem with righteousness, this is the right way to live, is that all of us have fallen short on it. Now, what's awesome about God who created and sustains us is that God isn't like, you all are failures, losers, sorry. God's not like that, right? God's not the one who's just sitting there be like, oh yeah, you just ruined everything. <laughs> I got it on Instagram, it's going on the vine. You know, it's none of that stuff. See, God says, look, you have not lived righteously, but guess what? I have righteousness and I wanna share it with you. That's the Christian message. The good news of the gospel is that God is righteous and we are not, and God says, look, I have righteousness and I want to share it with you. I want to share my righteousness with you. And that is what it means to be born again. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Because when you believe in Jesus, Jesus is like, look, I get everything right. You don't get everything right. I'm going to share my righteousness with you. And as I share it with you, now as you move through your life, day in and day out, you're going to be more and more like my righteousness and you're going to experience more and more of what right living is. That's what the good news of Jesus is. And that's why you need to believe in Jesus because you don't need a pastor to tell you that you're not always as good as you should be. You know it in your own heart. Your own heart checks you on that stuff. But then Jesus says, look, I got righteousness and I want to share it with you. That's a powerful reality. So when it says When I say be righteous, what I'm really talking about is put your faith and trust in Jesus and allow Jesus's righteousness to now be a foundational principle in your life. And as Jesus's righteousness is a foundational principle, you and I start to become more and more like Jesus. So if you ever wonder, how am I doing spiritually? You should ask yourself, am I doing better than I used to be? See, I like to say it, we say here across us all the time that we're all in process. What that means is that all of us are growing. And so you should be able to look back at your life and say, I'm not as angry as I used to be. I'm not as critical as I used to be. I don't do those things that were destructive that I used to do. And my mouth is not as dirty potty as it is today. Because you know what it's like, Some potty mouth, right? Like God doesn't want... Think about the visual, potty mouth, doesn't fit, right? Nasty. We'll talk about that a little bit in a minute, so. So the idea is that we're all should be growing. And the only person who's not growing is God, because God can't change. God is perfectly God all the time. All the rest of us are in process. And so be righteous. And righteousness is more valuable than treasures of wickedness that profit nothing. Now, I need to make the point, because it's right there. If you, in your business dealings, are seeking to profit on what the Bible would call wickedness. Now, again, our culture likes to minimize things that are bad. So we would say, you know, it's kind of, you know, maybe it's good, maybe it's not good. I call it shady when someone's being shady, right? Because it's not in the light, it's in the shade, right? If you're trying to profit, make money through shady business dealings, stop it. Because literally, it says here that you may make money, it profits you nothing, and people learn that over time. People who do shady business dealings, it ends up coming out, and then you end up doing time. I mean, Bernie Madoff, right? His whole Ponzi, that guy made more money than probably this entire congregation combined, and now he's sitting in jail because he's being shady. But when our heart loves materialism, then our will will choose materialism and our brains will find a way to justify shady business dealings but we learn here that righteousness is of more value not only that notice verse three the lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish now you think about when someone is famished i mean you all know what it's like eat breakfast at eight o'clock and by nine ten right you're famished right you're just finding your way to the break room like where are those donuts oh wait no you guys never do that right the idea of being famished is when you're, I'm starving. It always reminds me, remember Esau? Esau and Jacob were, were, were brothers. And Esau was out hunting and he came on back. And he was so hungry that he sold his birthright for a bowl of red lentils, bowl of porridge. I love this because when, when Jesus shares his righteousness with a person, it says that the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. He's saying, listen. When a person hungers and thirsts for righteousness, as Jesus said, that person will be satisfied and be filled. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you understand your soul being famished because you could feel it. And no matter what you do, no matter how many things you involve yourself in, maybe you get like a quick little moment where you're like, oh, that was kind of fun. But ultimately, you know that you're still hungering and thirsting for fulfillment. Because look what it says, the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. What that means is that if you try and satisfy your soul with wickedness, rebellion against God, the problem is, is you will never actually attain the thing that you desire. Why? Because the flesh is never satisfied. I have a a family member who had a history of drug addiction. I'll never forget. I was a young man. We were talking about uh, drugs and all those things. And he said, listen, he said, I ruined my life and my family trying to always get back to the way it felt the very first time. Because what happens with rebellion against God is it's pleasurable for a moment, but it's an unattainable. You're the perpetual horse with the carrot in front of you that you can't actually get the thing that you want. And that's how we know if we are building our lives on rebellion because we are never actually able to grab hold of what we want because God loves you too much to let that desire be fully satiated because you were created for more than that. And that's why it says that the desire, he casts away the desire of the wicked. The desire is never able to be quenched. That thirst of rebellion against God, the flesh will never be satisfied So if you're a materialistic person, you will never have enough stuff. If your God is your checkbook, you will never have enough money. It's amazing. I think it was John D. Rockefeller. He was the richest man in America. He was like Bill Gates before Bill Gates was Bill Gates. And they said, how much more money do you want to make? He said, just a little bit more. That's how it goes. It's always just a little bit more because the ways of rebellion are just unattainable. You're always looking for the next thing. Now, I said be righteous, but also, notice I said we need to be diligent. Look at what it says in verse four. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. So not only should we be righteous, sharing in the righteousness of Jesus, and not just having a belief about Jesus, but actually living that stuff out, because Christianity isn't just a set of beliefs. It's literally an all-encompassing way of life. But now we have to learn to be diligent. And diligence here is seen in opposition to laziness. Notice, he who has a slack hand. You ever hear the phrase, slacking off? It's someone who's lazy. Someone who's slacking off becomes impoverished. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise man. How many of your gardens are just blowing up right now with ripe veggies, right? So when it's blowing up, what do you do? You harvest it, because the summertime is harvest time. When somebody, when somebody gathers in the summer, they're wise, he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. So not only do we need to be righteous but we need to be diligent in our lives. You have to ask yourselves, am I diligent or am I lazy? Ask yourself spiritually, am I diligent spiritually or am I lazy am I am I a spiritual slacker? Now, I got to I got to make sure I make this nice important distinction here because the Christian message is that we're saved by grace apart from works, right? Now that does not mean because you can't do anything unto salvation, that because of, that God wants you to be apathetic about your life. See, we are saved by grace apart from works unto good works. Was is the book of Acts a book about people who are lazy? No. Is the Gospels, is Jesus portrayed as someone who is not passionately getting involved in the lives of people? See, we are saved by grace apart from works, but you and I now need to be diligent in growing, diligent in investing our lives in the life of the kingdom. Jesus is... Our hearts break for those being turned away and rejected all over the world because of where they've come from. Like many of you, I have to face my fears about terrorism and balance them with the command Jesus gave me to love. Love no matter what. You might be asking yourself, what can I do? How can I help? Well, I urge you first to reach out to us here at Crossroads Community Church. We've been ministering to refugees for many years and we could use your help. Second, and it's gonna sound pretty simple, you need to pray. Pray for those who are suffering all over the world. Pray for our refugees trying to escape terror in their own countries. And pray for President Donald Trump and the rest of the leadership of our country. And we want to help you to remember to pray for all of these things. I wear a leather bracelet that says real on it. Whenever I look at this bracelet, it reminds me that Jesus is real in my life and I'm utterly and completely blessed. I also remember to pray for those who are fleeing tyranny. I'm gonna turn this over to Josh so that you can learn more about supporting refugees and help us here at Jesus is Real Radio.
1: Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Truly, the plight of the refugees is urgent. Throughout the month of March, we want to make available to you the same leather bracelet that Pastor Daniel just mentioned. It simply says Real on it. When you wear this bracelet, you'll be reminded of God's love in your life and those that are less fortunate. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $20 or more, we will send you the real bracelet as a thank you. Plus, we will use a portion of these funds in the current effort here at Crossroads Community Church to minister to refugees. To receive your own real bracelet, check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the partner option in the main menu. Well, thanks for joining us today. Please remember to pray for the poor, oppressed, and less fortunate. Until next time, may God bless.